We're going to be in Romans 13, so if you guys want to go ahead and turn there. Um, Matt uh, led us through the first part of Romans 13 last week, uh, talking about just like submission to government and some things like that. And uh, so we're going to continue on in Romans 13, verses 8 through 14 today. And I'm going to go ahead and just read through this, and then we'll, we'll go um, almost verse by verse here. But verse 8 says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, and not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. God, thank you so much for this word. Um, just pray that we would see something new in it this morning. Help, to, help me to teach through this and speak through me that these wouldn't be my words, they'd be yours. And Holy Spirit, we welcome you in here to teach us this morning. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So we're going to split this up into a few sections here, but verses 8 through 10, we're going to talk about loving your neighbor. So the first point is love your neighbor for those of you that are taking notes. Um, this section 8 through 10 kind of dovetails in nicely with uh, verses 6 through, 6 through 7, which is what Matt talked about last week, where Paul says that we are to pay to all what is owed to them, right? So it's originally talking about taxes, and then it's talking about just paying debts back to people. And in my generation, which is millennials, we just really don't have any kind of concept of debt because we just have student loans and everything's relative, and so we just keep racking it up and who cares, right? So Kate sends me videos every once in a while, and this one was a, a, a nugget that I wanted to share with you guys. So this is how my generation looks at debt. I, I don't even know how debt works. I recently found that out when my dentist sent me to collections. Yeah. My dentist sent me to collections. The collection agency calls my phone. I answer because I don't know who it is. And they're like, hey, we're trying to collect a debt. Give us the money. And I was like, uh, no, you know? No, I'm just not going to. And he's like, what? And I was like, what are the consequences if I don't give you money? And he was like, we're going to make your credit bad. And I was like, not possible. Yeah, my credit's already really bad. My credit score is so bad, it also has face tattoos. Do you guys? <laughs> thing. And I was like, well, I'm gonna go ahead and not pay you then. I'm gonna choose that option. And he was like, this has never happened before. It's like, well, you know, it was the first time for everything, so I'm gonna go ahead and hang up now. And he's like, have a good day, I guess. Yeah. Well, it turns out collection agencies do have another thing. They have one more thing. They can, they can send someone to serve you papers to take you to small claims court to get that money, okay? But here's the thing about serving someone papers. To serve them papers to bring you to court, they have to get you to admit you are who you are, okay? <laughs> so it's like three in the afternoon one day, and I hear a knock at my door. And I answer the door, and it's this guy standing there with a clipboard. And he's like, hey, are you Shane Smith? And I was like, no, never. 
What? And that's when I realized he's standing there with a clipboard, and on that clipboard is a, my Facebook profile printed out on it. So he's seeing me, see him, looking down at me with my stupid tattooed face on the clipboard, looking right back up at him, seeing me see him. I think I said that right. And it's so, it's so awkward. And he's like, okay, well, if you're not Shane Smith, who are you? And it's like 3 p.m. I had just woken up. I'm not ready to be someone else, you know? I just said the first name that came to mind. I was like, uh, Bruce Wayne? I'm Bruce Wayne. He was not impressed, you know? So that's how we end up looking at it. It's just we, we have all this debt, and so it's all relative, and so we just keep racking it up. And we have no concept of, like, paying back debts. Like, well, we already got what we wanted by getting the loan, so why would I pay it back? And what are the consequences, right? How terrible is that? That's just the mindset of a lot of people in my generation. And I'm not proud of that. <laughs> um, and it's really just not even loving when you really think about it. And what we're looking at in this passage is just that, that you're supposed to pay these debts back to people, not because of the, you know, it's arbitrary and you should. Like, it's because it's not loving that you don't. And you look at it at this level, it's like, well, maybe with a credit card or something, you don't see that person's face. So you can just like, it's like with Facebook, you can type anything on Facebook and hit send and not feel bad about it. But take this down to like a small town level. Boone's pretty small. Let's go a little bit smaller where you're like rubbing shoulders with everybody on a regular basis. You have a debt with somebody and you're rubbing shoulders with them and you haven't paid it and you don't plan to pay it, but they gave you something how terrible is that for your witness? If you're, especially if you're a Christian, how terrible is that, that you're representing Christ that way, right? And so that's what Paul is saying here is that just pay back these debts because it's loving to do so. And then it goes into how important loving your neighbor is and the fact that that is the greatest, the second one of two great commandments that Jesus gives us. So let's look at Matthew 22. Matthew 22, 37 through 40 says, and he said to them, or he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So essentially what he's saying is like, if you're loving people, all of this stuff will just come with it. You'll, you'll want to pay back your debt. You'll want to do these things that are required in the law because they're all based on these two things, either loving God or loving your neighbor. And so he just makes that point very clear. And then he kind of pivots here. In verse 11, he just says, besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone and the day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. So this section is just talking about turning from your flesh, right? So there's this verse, verse 12, explains it beautifully, and it says, the night is far gone, the day is at hand, right? It's, it's this beautiful picture, and honestly, it makes me think of uh, the dark night a little bit with Harvey Dent, and he's like, the night is darkest just before the dawn, right? He's so dramatic about it. Um, but it's true, and, and it got me to thinking about, like, when you look at the sun, like, the earth getting hit by the sun. So go ahead and throw that picture up. Um, <clears throat> the phrase, the night is dark just before the dawn, it's true, because if you look at that, 
if the world is turning and you're sitting on the globe there, as that dawn is coming, it comes pretty quick in comparison to the rest of the turning, right? So it turns and then dawn is there. So we're going to do a little object lesson. It's Youth Sunday. We've got to have an object lesson, right? So this guy looks pretty smart. He's a Vikings fan. He knows what he's doing. Um, let's imagine this is that light, right? The light is, or the darkness is just as dark just before the dawn, right? Okay, so imagine this is an unbeliever. This is God. This is God's love for us. It's constant. It's always been there. It always will be. And for the unbeliever, they just don't want anything to do with it. They're not looking at it. They don't realize it exists. But the cool thing that happens is that the Holy Spirit does a good work in the heart of an unbeliever and does the turning for them to get them to a point where they get to make that choice. All of a sudden, God comes into that peripheral vision, and they can make that choice whether or not to accept Jesus or not. And that point of conversion, that light, that, that line of light right there, that is conversion when they choose Jesus. And then from the rest of their lives, they spend it turning more towards Jesus until that day when we finally get to stand in, in front of him sinless, without the ability to sin or bring sin into his presence, and we can just have communion with him and look at him face to face. So that's the good news of what God offers to us, and that's what he's calling them to here. But when you think about this, who is Paul writing to? Paul is not writing to non-believers here. He's talking to the church. And so what does that mean for us then as believers? So he's saying, turn from the darkness and into light. Well, every single day, God calls us to make a choice and to worship him. So we go from turning from our flesh and to putting on Christ. So let's look at verse 13 here. Let us walk properly as in daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness and sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. So it says, make no provision for the flesh. Now, this passage isn't like in Ephesians 4 when Paul is urging them not to give the devil a foothold, right? Because that's a whole other thing and separate from this. It's calling us to make no provision. So don't provide for our own flesh, right? That battle is real too. And to be, it's calling us to be vigilant and aware that our flesh fails constantly. That's the truth. Our flesh fails constantly, but God never does. And when you look at this passage, you see these sins that are listed, and it's like quarreling and jealousy and sexual immorality and drunkenness. Like these, these are addictive sins. These are sins that are easy to fall into and to continue doing, right? If you're not careful. And they should be treated as such, as addictive sins. So what do they do with addictions in, in AA and NA and things like that? They, they show you, all right, this is the trigger that's causing this addiction to continue to happen. What are you going to do about it? 
So you take your trigger and you replace it with a remedy action or something that is actually healthy and you swap it out. So it makes me think of Indiana Jones, right? So show that picture here. So in, in that movie, he's got this relic and he needs to move it. But if he moves it, everything comes tumbling down, right? So he's got the relic and he's got something that's similar in size and weight. And if you look at what's coming next, he just swaps it real quick, right? And then he gets to keep the relic, right? But that's not the point here. So he's swapping it out and it keeps everything from falling down. When you go ahead and take that vice or that, that trigger and you just take it all together, stuff's either going to fall down or you're going to replace it with something that's even worse, right? But what God does in this process is he enters into it and he gives us a healthy alternative, something to take this out and you swap it in for something good, something worthwhile, something worth pursuing that God puts on our heart to do. And he gives us that remedy action. If we are being diligent in pursuing him and pursuing his path instead of our own, right? So the call in this passage isn't just to not sin. It's to put on Jesus and make no provision for the flesh at all. So this analogy of replacing our flesh for the armor of light, how cool is that? isn't just about replacing sin. It's also about rejecting our flesh identity and seeking to put on Christ instead. So we're, we're passive and complacent by nature, right? As, as humanity, we just want to get comfortable. And everything we do is in pursuit of happiness, right? Or comfortability, if you want to put it that way. It's the pursuit of just being able to sit and be comfortable and complacent. That's our human nature of where we want to go. God's calling us to more than that. God calls us to pursue more. He wants us to pursue growth and growth towards him, not towards the things that we were doing before we knew Christ. He wants us to pursue him, become more like him, and worship him through our actions and our choices and our willingness to be uncomfortable for the sake of becoming more like Christ. One of the podcasts I listen to asks this question. It says, how old would you be, how old do you think you would be if you didn't know how old you are? So if you, if you were to think about yourself in, in your maturity level, in your, your empathy level, your, your spirituality, your life with Christ even, how old are you? <laughs> How many years have you worked at it so that you have matured in your faith or in your, uh, in your stability? Or have you just sat complacent at an infant stage? Or what they say is 4 to 14 is kind of where people get stuck in their maturity level as far as being emotionally mature or spiritually mature. And they just sit there and be complacent with that because 4 to 14 is good enough. God's got us covered Jesus died on the cross, and so we can just coast until that glory day, right? No. He doesn't want us to coast. He wants us to pursue him as hard as he pursued us, right? He died on the cross for us. That wasn't just something to take lightly. And so we should be pursuing him. We should desire to pursue him. We shouldn't desire to pursue complacency, God calls us to an exciting life that is full of twists and turns and ways that he is able to catch us when we jump. And he wants that for us. 
So the best way to starve the flesh is to saturate yourself with Christ so much that there is no room for the flesh at all. And to just actively move yourself closer and closer to that light source where God is. And if you continue to do that, if you continue to pursue Jesus and pursue that light and get rid of any ounce of flesh in you or or human nature in you, and that's your trajectory, you're headed in the right direction. You're headed towards growth. You're headed towards what God is calling you to in this passage. So let's do that together, amen? All right, let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for this passage. Thank you that um, you call us to pursue you and that you don't just call call us to it. You have given us the best example of it in what you did on the cross for us, that you sacrificed your comfort. You sacrificed what you could have had, (laughs) which was just being able to sit at the right hand of your father. And instead, you got uncomfortable. And you came down for us to die on the cross so that we could have relationship with you. And you're worth worshiping for that. God, your promises are good. And you are good for your word. So help us. Help us to worship you for who you are and to get to know you a little bit better. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.